Hi, welcome to Sweetman Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Simon Sweetman. Uh, this is brought to you as always by Tea Leaf Tea, La Petit Chocolat and Yeasty Boys. And this one is a conversation with Marnie Carmeletta. She is the director of the Wellington International Festival and the and the Jazz Festival. There's actually been some, some changes in the structure of the festival and we talked through a bit of that. Um, if you've been listening to this podcast, you'll remember for a while, you'll remember that last year I talked with uh, Sheila Magatza a couple of times, once about the Jazz Festival and once about the International Festival. Uh, and I got a bit of Sheila's story. So as part of that podcast, so this is the same thing, but with Marnie. So learn all about how she got into arts admin, how she got into festivals. In fact, that's what she wanted to do. She knew from the earliest age that she wanted to be involved in putting on events and helping facilitate festivals, big shows, um, being involved in the arts. She grew up in Perth in Australia and her first work was with the Perth Festival. She did some time in America, then back to Australia working and running, a, helping run a venue and events in Brisbane before moving to Wellington in 2016 to be uh, basically Sheila's uh, assistant um, and involved with the programming of the festivals then. She's now taken over fully in that capacity and from there we go to talk about this year's Jazz Festival which is um, upon us in Wellington at the start of June. I'll have all the you know notes, there'll be links in the in the notes for this but the, the headliners have all been announced. The, the big headliner is Herbie Hancock. Uh, we go through the program, we go through all the people in the program so I won't spoil that by naming it now and we talk about some of the things you can see you know for, by Kohar or Free, some of the local pubs and clubs you can check out. What a, what a great event for Wellington the Jazz Festival is. I love these conversations, it's nice to meet a new person and have a new version of this conversation and to get some of Marnie's backstory. Um, uh, it is just a giant plug for the Jazz Festival, I'll, I'll, I'll fest to that, um, I'm a fan of the Jazz Festival and I'll be there and I'll hopefully go to as many things as I can and I recommend if you're in or near Wellington you do the same. But um, in as much as we could we tried to make this an organic conversation and I hope you enjoy it. Um, this is me talking with Marnie about Wellington's 2019 Jazz Festival. Uh, we're going to talk about the jazz festival in particular. Yeah. We're going to talk about the the festival and everything that's under that umbrella. But um, I want to get to know you and how you come to this position. Mm. I know a bit about you, but we've only just met. Mm. So, uh, why are you in arts administration and arts management <laughs> and event management yep. rather than in the arts yourself? And w have you been directly in the arts yourself? Uh, I have not. I think I probably have a similar story to um, you know a lot of people who do what I do yeah this work finds you yeah it does yeah. but I um, I think uh, I you know frustrated performer uh, in that when I was young I really wanted to be a classical ballerina right um, and I spent a number of years um, you know going to my ballet classes four or five times a week um, but pretty quickly realised when I hit puberty that, that it was not going to happen for More me. More left feet than right. <laughs> <laughs> All of that sort of thing. Um, but I was determined yeah. to to work in the arts. And now, whereabouts was this? Where did you grow up? I grew up in Perth in yeah. Western Australia. Yeah. Um, and so I actually discovered the um, arts management 
course at the WA Academy of Performing right. Arts at WAPA. Yeah. Uh, and again, was determined to get myself there. Um, and I remember going to speak to the head of department there when I was 16 uh, and just finishing up high school. And he was he was really lovely, um, but he said to me, "You're way too young for this course. Yeah. Um, go go away, live a little, and and come back. Do something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, it was great advice because uh, the course at that time um, entrance was based on an interview, and a lot of mature age students came through it, uh, and of course just came across so much better in that interview mm, type mm. situation. And I think had also really thought about whether where they wanted to head um, and I think the head of department got a bit sick of talking to people who were perhaps trying to get into performance through through that avenue mm, mm. Um, so I went and studied English and history and um, and uh, hung out uh, with my my friends at the University of Western Australia and then once I finished that three years later I was straight back to see him wow. and um, that's that's Got myself through it. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. fascinating that yeah. you were so was sure set. of it from yeah. such a... Yeah. But is that a thing, like, do do a lot of people, because I think there's maybe a negative perception around this, do a lot of people get involved in the administrative side thinking this is my way into being a performer? I think at that time that was certainly the case. Mm. Um and, you know, the places um, at schools like Whopper and mm. NIDA, for example, um, were so limited. Um, and so I think people really did see it as an avenue to perhaps transfer. But I think now, um, you know, this side of things, behind the scenes, if you like, mm. um, is really seen as a valid option yeah, it's uh, on its, its own. own. Thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it's become its own thing, and so um, I think people come into it now very well aware of that and really wanting to embrace that mm, as well. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's. It, I guess it's handy to have some sort of. It can be handy to have some sort of desire and ability in an area, but it really yeah. doesn't. No. matter and sometimes it's worse if you do yeah like true I, I used to <laughs> i used to sort of think that when i were you know when i moved up through the ranks reviewing that every now and then it was worth mentioning if anyone asked oh well you know yes i can play music i mm. have done some you know i do know what it's like to be mm. on stage. it's actually better to just shut up and do your work because <laughs> then they find youtube videos of you mm. not being very good or they just assume you're not very good <laughs> Or you join a band again and they turn up and, yeah. and boo you or whatever, like, keep the things separate. Yeah. Hasn't um, <laughs> social media been the bane yeah. of our existence yeah. recently? Oh, well, <laughs> I was in a, I was in a, a several long-running covers bands for years, long before there were camera phones yeah. and, and YouTube channels, and it's a good thing. Yeah, you know, it's I a think. very good thing, I think. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you do the course yeah. what, and you like it. I you, loved it. You um, are validated in the, this thing that you want to do. Yep. You didn't get it wrong. No, I yeah. really, um, you know, I found my, well, in, in fact, I'd, you know, I'd found that path, um, you know, so many years earlier, mm. but it really did validate for me that I was headed in the right direction. Um, and part of the, the course framework was a lot of volunteering with um, local arts organisations and artists. And so each of my three years that I was there, I was out working, um, you know, with artists mm. and loving life. I was um, going to ask you what sort of 
I guess, what sort of culture were you absorbing, mm. either course-related or just in, in that interim before you actually did it? What, you know, were you a regular concert goer? Were you an yes. album buyer or a yeah. listener? Were you a book reader? You know, what I was happening? Was, um, I was a little bit of everything. Um, really, my, I think my passion for performance came through attending theatre shows with my mum, uh, who was an English literature teacher. Mm. Um, and at that time, um, she would organise a lot of um, excursions for her classes to go to um, theatre productions, either touring um, in from outside Perth or local theatre productions uh, and she would always get me a ticket, she'd get an extra mm. ticket for me and I ended up seeing a huge array and amount of work um, and and that just really fueled my passion mm. for it so um, I was an attendee at the, the Perth Festival what was then the Festival of Perth uh, every year I ended up um, uh, ushering uh, at various venues for that festival while I was going through university um, and yeah, um, concerts, um, theatre, dance, a little bit of everything. Yeah, yeah. which is yeah. what the job requires. It really the job does. That you, the jobs that you've yeah. moved into. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. So you're doing volunteering as part of the course. Mm. You're, again, you're experiencing all sorts of mm. things and mm. going to all sorts of things. And and then what? I guess what's the significant move yeah. no, out it, of that? Again, it really came out of that... Um, that volunteering because mm. in my second year I ended up um, at the Festival of Perth um, and working in the marketing department there. Um, actually, uh, I spent a lot of time folding T-shirts, festival <laughs> T-shirts. Merchandise was a really big thing yeah, yeah. Uh, around the, the late 90s for yes. festivals. Um, and so we had this massive range of merchandise that I was in charge of. Um, and in my third year, I was required as part of the course to do a 10-week placement full-time with an organisation and then write up a, a lengthy report on the experience using all of the knowledge um, that we had learnt over our uh, degree. Um, and so I asked the festival if I could um, do my placement there and, and they agreed wholeheartedly. Um, and it was just brilliant because, um, you know, my last uh, day, uh, the last day of my placement, um, the general manager called me into his office and said, you, we'd like to offer you a job from Monday. So um, I just continued on with them mm. seamlessly. Um, nearly didn't get my report written because I, I just threw myself into the festival. Yeah. So uh, I actually started in festivals um, and Festival of Perth was where I cut my teeth. Um, and uh, actually where I started to hear about the New Zealand Festival um, because there was a really special relationship between Perth mm. and uh, the New Zealand Festival here in Wellington. Um, the artistic director at the time, David Blenkinsop, was very supportive of this festival. Um, and, uh, yeah, there was a lot of sharing of... Um, uh, not just shows and that kind of touring circuit, but information and, mm. um, yeah, it was a... Um, there was a, a real established relationship there. So um, started to hear about the New Zealand Festival and, and follow the programs coming out every two years here. And then, of course, um, Sheila Magadza came mm. across to Perth and um, she was the uh, Associate Director um, at the Perth Festival 
uh, with Lindy Hume. Um, I had gone away and worked in theatre uh, in the meantime um, and dabbled in the wine industry. Um, and uh, All related things. All re- <laughs> I used to say that, um, you know, wine uh, as a product was kind of experiential, like, mm. like performance. So, mm. um, yeah, it really spoke to me. Mm. <laughs> um, but that was fun and uh, ended up back at the festival, so working with um, Lindy uh, and then Sheila um, uh, for a number of years. Um, and during that time, uh, transferred, <coughs> excuse me, from marketing and, and the media area uh, across to program management, which I decided was really the, the place that I belonged. Mm. Um, and I now just... Did, did that coincide with the rise of social media and the bane that that's <laughs> caused for people working in marketing? Because it sounds like you might have nicely dodged a bit of a bullet there. I really did. <laughs> I dodged it um, just before it started to yeah. become, you know, a part of our mm. everyday existence, which was, yeah, yeah I am great for that like it still is it still is for you obviously yeah. but yeah the pressure's slightly off you can go about doing your job exactly without worrying too much about yep. that I imagine yeah no yeah. you're absolutely right about yeah. that and <laughs> you know our fantastic marketing team um, at the festival you know that's there every day they've developed their coping strategies absolutely <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how they do it actually yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I really wanted to be closer to the artists I wanted to be involved in the process of making work um, and creative conversations Um, so not just talking about the work itself um, and about these artists um, and and you know their vision and what they do um, but actually having that one-to-one conversation with Mm. them that was really where I wanted to land Uh, so yeah started that journey there yeah Mm -hmm. My, my first real kind of understanding of I guess the idea that for us to see these great shows, experience these amazing things, that there's a whole network of people behind the scenes running around Mm. doing things, fixing things. Mm. My first understanding of that was actually reading Bob Geldof's autobiography Mm. and the significant chapters about Live Aid. Mm. And I just thought, oh, hell no. <laughs> no way. But but I was in awe of it. And yeah. it's an amazing read, that, yeah. that that portion of his book is yeah. an amazing read. But, you know, he puts in place the sort of down-to-the-wire 20-hour working days, phone yeah. phoning, especially because, yeah. you know, Live Aid was unprecedented mm. and, and pre-internet. Yes. So everything was phone calls. Yeah. But um, I imagine that's still some sort of blueprint for how stressful and how involved it can get at various times. Absolutely. Those, you know, those conversations are pretty intense. And, um, you know, you form relationships with artists, each and every one that you work with, Mm. Um, even if it's, um, you know... uh, I guess, a, a lesser involved relationship. There's still a relationship yes. there um, and you're emotionally invested. Um, so n- not only are you dealing with logistical um, concepts and, uh, you know, availability and um, and technical staging requirements and, and that mm. kind of thing, but you're emotionally invested in the work mm. and you mm. really want to see it. Uh, reach an audience in the first place um, and then you want to see it uh, connect with people Um, so yeah it's quite um, I mean it's you know you've got to have that passion I think there's several levels or layers of potential horror story waiting to happen (laughs) not not to make this sound like (laughs) 
too like, scary. Too scary. But, <laughs> but isn't there? I mean, there's yeah. the venue can have its own troubles. Yes. It can go through a re- last minute refurbishment or yeah. like Wellington's panic with earthquake restrength. Yes. Yeah. So there are venue logistics. There are artist logistics yeah. then there's your own team yeah. and then there's the I guess the big thing at the end of the day is always have we got enough ticket buyers that's Are right we, you is, know? You know, is the show going to land here yeah. um, I, and you're absolutely right you know all of those questions need to be addressed and I think sometimes you know the hardest scenario is where um, you know you've connected with an artist or with a particular piece of work um, and we just don't have the venue capacity here mm. to technically stage the show so we have to say no and and pass on it or um, as you say um, you know we just don't think that there's um, uh, enough audience here for that kind mm, of work mm, mm. Um, and that's really heartbreaking for us behind the scenes yeah 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 because uh, uh, what of those qu- I mean I guess in a way all of them but what's on your mind working and programming like mm. and t- directly I guess it's that can we fit this and can we fill this is, yeah. is really and, and and does this speak to me and therefore an audience those yeah. are the things you're really thinking about definitely and I think the um, the biggest questions are time and place um so you know we we live here in this Mm. place um and we're all all part of um you know this current time this you know Mm. this landscape um the zeitgeist that's swirling around Mm. us so why this particular work here and now i think is probably the biggest question um and if that if that doesn't have a resonance or if it doesn't have a connection, then it's not the right time um, and it's best to leave it be. Um, and then you move on to um, those more operational questions of, okay, well, do we have a stage that will fit the show yeah. or, um, you yeah. know, do we have um, an audience mm. and, and support for this type of work? Mm. And, and so you roll through those questions as well. But, yeah, certainly I'm always thinking about, um, you know, what's, What's the best fit for Wellington yeah, in, yeah. This, in this year? Yeah, yeah. What, uh, why should this play now and exactly. how, how will this play out? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, with everything going on around us, mm-hmm. um, uh, what? how will it land? So, I, I mean, people have listened to this podcast regularly. Mm. Uh, you mentioned Sheila. She came and chatted to me a couple of times mm. and, and she's a, a work, ex-work colleague and friend of yours. Mm. Um so one of the things that you would have had to do that she talked about is that most harrowing thing of of travel around the world and mm. see amazing shows yeah. and get handed a glass of wine. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's hard to make that sound hard work to people. Anyone listening will be like, I wish I could do that. Absolutely. And I bet it's wonderful yes. most of the time, but there is a hard work element, right? You um, are working. Yeah, it's, it is hard work. <laughs> and it, so sell it to us. It Why? is exhausting, <laughs> yeah. but I have to say it's a real privilege. Mm. Um, and for me, um, the, the biggest uh, and most amazing part about it is being able to meet um, and speak to the artists and... What I find is that gives me um, a whole layer of insight into the performances that I see. Um, And that's what I really hoped to do um, with the New Zealand Festival, for example, is um, how do we bring the audience closer to the artists so they can have that conversation Mm. and therefore 
gain so much more from the performance itself. But yes, I I have to say I'm I'm very lucky and I love <laughs> the job, um, and the travel uh, is amazing. It's just exhausting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's uh, but it's hard telling people that because they they answer. I mean, yeah. I haven't. I've had a hard enough job saying to people when it's festival time. Oh, I've got to go out and see a show. <laughs> I'll, I'll pour you free, yeah. free tickets. Yeah. Is it? Yes, it yeah. is. But blah blah blah. Yeah, no, that just doesn't no. cut it. it yeah. No amount of complaining will. Uh... No, I um <laughs> I and I don't complain about it. Yeah. it's it's just a real privilege. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the that. Well, when did you? First of all, I guess when did you come here, and how long have you? How mm. how long have you worked up through here? And then we'll get into the kind of organization of the festival now what mm. what it's what it's doing and yes. how it's changed yeah. so yeah. um for sure i um uh, spent a bit of time uh in the states um at one of the major university presenters in north carolina of all places mm. um and then moved back to um australia working at the brisbane powerhouse which is a venue on the yep. river there in brisbane um and before i came here in the middle of 2016 um to to work with the festival as the head of programming, uh, which really was the most incredible experience because I was able to um, throw myself into uh, the art scene here um, and I got out and met as many uh, artists as I possibly could and Mm. saw as much work as I could um, and also was able to go through a cycle uh, with the festival, um, which has uh, a number of events in its wheelhouse, as you know, um, and we'll talk about Mm. the the Mm. jazz festival later um, for one. Uh, So I was able to go through that cycle of the Lexus Songquest and then the Wellington Jazz Festival before I hit the New Zealand Festival. Um, And that just gave me a really good understanding of um, our company and its position here in Wellington, but more broadly, um, New Zealand as well, uh, and then internationally. Um, And then when the opportunity came to work with um, the new executive director at the time, Meg Williams, Mm. um, on uh, um, refiguring the, the... kind of direction uh, of our organisation, I just jumped at the chance um, because uh, I think it's such an extraordinary uh, organisation. I love the events that we produce and present um, and what an opportunity. Um, So I grabbed it with both hands. Also, anyone wanting to throw shit at people that work in arts and and, and, and festivals and think that they're taking the piss should meet Meg. Yeah, and all of that will disappear in an instant because <laughs> she's amazing, right? And in amazing. Fact, I mean, everyone I've met and dealt with through the festival yep. is, but just since you mentioned her and her yes. position now, yes, um, yeah, she's incredible. She's one um, of the really good ones, right? Oh, she's she's just amazing, and um, you know, she has such a long history with the organisation mm. as well. Um, but her energy and her passion is second mm-hmm. to none. Um, and yeah, so um, it's been an, a delight working alongside her. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. And Sheila, I guess, set a really good tone the last mm. few years too. I really liked yeah. um, meeting her and spending a bit of time talking with her. And I loved how she would, more often than not, get up and introduce that. Yes. Like particularly the jazz festival. Yeah. Um, it just put a you know, a face and a smile and a, yeah. and a and a name to things. A very personal touch, yeah. um, which is, is very characteristic of Sheila. Yeah. Um, uh, I think, you know, Sheila has the biggest heart and mind in the business, I think. Mm. Um, but I loved that too. I loved yeah. seeing her um, yeah. 
uh, connect with the audience, but introduce the artists who she obviously has a relationship with. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think that's um, that's something that you can do here in Wellington because mm. uh, it's it's like that. You know, we talk about the the kind of distance between the audience and the stage in a very physical way, but um, but also in that metaphorical way. I think that that we bring mm-hmm. the artists quite close to audiences mm. here, and it's fantastic, mm. and they love it. Yeah, and it, but it can also be a fine line between sort of calm and cringe in terms of how you end up introducing someone yeah. and showing off that you just went and had lunch with them or something <laughs> like that and, and, and she managed that perfectly she too did and never yeah. came across like um, a little showboating oh, exercise not and at all. this is this is my friend yeah. Wayne Shorter or you know yeah. something like that it yeah. was very organic and authentic yeah. you know very real because it came from a real place yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so so you've been here for a couple of years. Mm. You've, you've um, and now you, you've the whole festival organisation has changed, really. Yeah, we have. We've um, we've really stopped um, and looked at uh, what it means to be a festival. Um, and again, going back to that idea of this time and this place, what does it mean to be a festival uh, at the moment uh, in Wellington, New Zealand? Um, and we looked at our organisation and what had happened naturally uh, over the past few years, which was taking on these additional events over and above the biennial New Mm. Zealand Festival. Mm. Um, So the Wellington Jazz Festival came on as an annual event. Uh, The Lexus Songquest came on as another biennial event. And we would also pick up one-off events um, from time to time. So uh, back in 2015, um, the festival presented uh, Shakespeare's Globe, who were doing a worldwide tour um, of Hamlet, I believe, Um, and uh, as well as the um, Edinburgh Military Tattoo uh, as a one-off standalone event. Um, And so we looked at our organisation and went through the conversation that I think every biennial festival goes through at some stage in its life, which is, you know, should we be an annual festival? Um, And actually, after talking to our uh, audiences, talking to our patrons and supporters uh, and our sponsors, we decided that no, um, really, that the festival retains a very special quality and celebratory Mm. um, feel to it because of its biennial nature. Um, And we didn't want to dilute um, the festival um, and its scale and scope um, by putting one up every year Um, but we did look at our organisation and the the additional events um, that we had been attracting um, and so we decided to look um, at our activity over this two year cycle um, and different ways that we could uh, introduce uh, new events for example um, that would allow us to offer um, artists additional opportunities here in Wellington in particular um, but also um, to enable us to keep our staff on for longer uh, contracts um, because that biennial cycle is is very difficult Mm. um, for staff. Um, So there were a number of reasons um, that we wanted to uh, increase our activity Um, and so we decided to uh, change the overarching name of our organisation and then uh, retain the obviously the names of all of the events, Mm. the suite of events uh, that the organisation presents um, and so our company is now called Tafari 
Mm. Um, and we present the New Zealand Festival, the Wellington Jazz Festival, the Lexus Songquest, and a new event uh, which we've just launched uh, called Second Unit, which will premiere in June of this year, just after the Jazz Festival. Mm. Um, and it's really exciting because we can let each event have its own personality um, and its own group of audience around it and mm. its own artists and each each event has such a, um, a different feel um, and a different vision um, and there's no pressure on any one event um, to kind of rise up above the others. Um, we can talk to uh, so many different groups of people and, mm. and different artists because of that, which is really great. And this is a kind of a trend, I guess, that's happening in in, in the arts and organisations mm. now um, and venues. They're mm. having to work out how to, I guess, diversify and, yeah. and become like a little um, production company yeah. of their own and, or, an, or an umbrella company mm-hmm. that hangs different things from it. I think of, you know, Circa Theatre is yeah. now doing smaller one-off performances and one-week things yes. in and around its own productions seasons, because, yeah. yeah, its own regular mm. theatre seasons are still a thing, mm. but they're fitting in more with other organisations, mm. outside performers, um, because I guess, you know, it's very easy for us to sit at home with our Netflix and chill yeah. um, <laughs> and, yeah. and whatever else, yeah. and you're fighting that a yeah. bit too, right? I think you've nailed it. Um, you know, people, we as consumers, as audience members, um, we have so much choice uh, now and, you know, we've, we've talked about social media, but just access to information and entertainment um, is so easy now. Um, and uh, we were thinking about this particularly in light of the New Zealand Festival and, you know, how do we um, offer uh, a really broad group of, of people, the broadest possible audience, um, and in, uh, a, you know, a pathway into the festival. Um, and one of the ways that we decided to do that was to uh, create a program that um, is curated by a number of different people. Um, and we're actually inviting three practising artists to create a signature series of events for each week of the festival. And I think that speaks to, um, you know, our audiences um, everyday uh, activity of, of seeking information and entertainment from a whole bunch of sources, mm. um, you know, news sites, um, Netflix. It's, yeah. it's a real self-selection process. Um, yep. And so we're hoping that they will see this this way of looking at the festival as a self-selection process and it's as self, well. It's self-selection, but it's self-selection within... Two rather horrible buzzwords, but necessary curated playlists, yeah. which is what you're talking to here. Because yeah. we go and self-select from our Netflix queue, which is a curated playlist. Yes. We go and self-select from our Spotify That's exactly playlists, it. and we yeah. follow the taste of yeah. people on Instagram yeah. or... And our Facebook feed. Yeah, that's yeah. right. I, yeah. You know, I like this person's mm. performance, this person's music. Therefore, um, if they're influenced by, you know, this other artist, then maybe I should give them a go as well. What a time to be alive for artists to be mm. able to do that too, right? Because, yeah. uh, you know, I'm old enough and have been doing this for long enough that I can remember interviewing artists and you'd ask them uh, what they were, what, what drove them. Mm. And you'd put that out in the world in a print magazine mm. two months after they'd performed, mm. you know. Yes. But now you can... Yeah, it's instantaneous. Now online you can, <laughs> yeah. you can have 
a Spotify playlist yeah. of their favourites yeah. and they can well they can directly do it they don't yeah. even need to talk to me they can actually be running that through their own social channels through it's their incredible. channels yeah. yeah it is really incredible and then mm. we have access to it yeah yeah, uh, yeah as well so it's almost like you're in conversation hard to, hard to spot who's luckiest yeah yeah, yeah. I think it's yeah. Um, and again I th- it goes back to what I mentioned earlier which is I think it brings a, um, an extra level of richness to the experience of then uh, seeing or hearing that artist perform so you can go to the rugby game you can go to the basketball game you can watch a great series on Netflix at home you can do all of these things and still attend the festival mm. um, but now you and I know what it's like to go and see something like that multimedia show home mm. that where a, an actual pretty much an actual house is built on stage wasn't that incredible amazing yeah it's deeply sad and moving and dramatic it's hugely entertaining and funny it also has had one of my favorite singer songwriters just happened to be the wandering minstrel yes. in it um so there was sort of yes there's something for everything in that but but is it about you know we already know that and are going to go to that because we're seasoned yes. festival goers and arts consumers so are you trying to just sort of further hone stuff for that crowd or i mean i know the answer is you always want more people mm. to come but but how do you reach someone who doesn't know they're going to love mm. that it's a bit of both isn't it because um yes we we want to create these live communal experiences for mm. people like you and me and that was who an, are, that's i use that as an example because it's an amazing one right? it was like wasn't it didn't that bring all of us together who yeah. were sitting in that auditorium yeah. um you know in that space partially freaked out you were going to be chosen and put <laughs> yes. on the stage. <laughs> um, but then, you know, those people who were selected, the joy yeah. that, that was going oh, on was on stage that was, was just... Um, it was literally a case of just as you thought it couldn't get better, that started to happen and exactly. that brought out so much more yeah. in, in the performance yes. and the performance. Yeah. yeah, I think, you know, what was so beautiful about that performance is... Um, you know, all all through uh, the piece leading up to bringing audience members on stage, you could really identify yourself yes. um, in in the work and yeah. and in in what Jeff Sabell was trying to say about our relationship to home and and yeah. um, you know the people that come in and out of our lives. Um, but then to see people yeah, from amongst us, us yeah, 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 yeah actually us, yeah. up up at that dining table mm. and it was it was magical yeah. and I guess that's what we're we're trying to always create is that magical uh experience that um uh, that comes only from sharing an experience with a, a group of like-minded humans mm. Mm. um which is just the beauty of what we do um and a lot of what we think about is exactly as you say how do we introduce people to that electric feeling um that we know is so transforming Mm, mm. um and uh so one of the things that we're doing is introducing uh this new event uh that i mentioned second unit i was just gonna i'm glad you brought that up again i was gonna say can we talk a bit about that too and that um, that work has really been designed to um, to perhaps give 
non-theatre going audiences um, an opportunity to experience a, a live art mm. um, world. Uh, so it's really playing with this concept of immersive theatre um, that is just blossoming uh, around the world mm. at the moment. Um, and we wanted to create an experience for Wellingtonians um, and for New Zealanders in this genre. Um, we're, we're certainly not the first to do it, um, but uh, we felt um, that it was a great opportunity for Wellington audiences um, and for Wellington artists as well uh, to play in this space. Um, and uh, as we know, Wellington is such a hotbed of exciting film. Um, you know, the film world here is extraordinary and what's being produced out of Wellington is mm. world-class and is mm. being recognised as such. Um, and so we thought we'd smash those two worlds together um, and create an immersive theatre experience around the world of film. Uh, and the idea is that each year um, uh, a different film will be selected to be the focus of that world um, and we have just uh, announced that this year the film will be um, that wonderful Wellington film What We Do in the Shadows um, and so we're asking um, audience members to, to come on set um, and be extras um, in the the kind of second round of, of filming around that documentary experience um, and so people will really be able to play I use mm. that word very specifically mm. um, you know they will be able to enter the world of that film um, and spend uh, you know as much time as they wish um, interacting with the um, performers the crew um, and uh, you know the different uh, sets and rooms and stages and worlds mm. that we create which is really exciting that's very cool yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so you know our, our hope is that um, maybe people who haven't been to a traditional theater show will come mm. along and give it a try mm. and and realize like we've been talking about that you know that live experience is really really quite exciting mm. yeah mm. wow mm. oh that's cool and um and so i guess the big the big thing we want to plug is um because you know hopefully you'll come back and talk to me again when you've got the uh international festival I'd love to. um all all, all um wrapped up. and primed <laughs> and ready yeah wrapped wrapped for delivery but um by the time people listen to this what's upon us is the jazz festival you hit that your your program will be out when people hear this and the headliners were announced. Yes. Um, and to just just before we get into it, I wanted to say that, um, you know, you mentioned the festival picking up these things under its under its tier, like the Jazz Festival. I, I would say the New Zealand Festival Organisation, as it was known then, saved the Jazz Festival. Mm. You brought it back from, you know, mm. brought it back from the dead, really. That's um, my understanding, yeah. you know, to, yes. from talking to people yeah. um, no, since, since arriving. And um, I think it's... it's Rebuilt it. Yeah, and it, but it's a really special festival because it brings together, um, in quite a unique way, I think, um, you know, a handful of international touring artists um, that we may or may not have heard of. Um, so, you know, 
know, from the, the really well-known names like Herbie Hancock um, yeah. this year, which is super exciting yeah. for us, yeah. um, to some more emerging names. Yeah. Um, but then uh, this kind of groundswell of um, Wellington-based and New Zealand musicians. Mm. And I think that's the really exciting part of this this festival and, and the way that it works. Mm. Um, and uh, I'm not sure if you're aware, but... Um, uh, when I came into the role, I put together uh, two panels of um, Wellington-based uh, and New Zealand artists around the Jazz Festival and the New Zealand Festival. Um, and so, uh, again, we're really trying to open up our conversations, bring artists uh, into our process mm, and right. into the kind of curatorial and programming conversations that we have. Mm. Um, and so they've been able to give me an insight into the huge amount of activity that's going on every day of the year, yeah, yeah. Um, but then just gets concentrated <laughs> in this, you know, five-day yeah. festival yeah. Um, where a lot of the musicians are running from gig to gig. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. You know, that's that's so cool. So in the best possible way, as it is with festivals, you literally cannot see everything. No, because, you cannot. Because the, you have to make some choices, yes. which is great. But you're talking about in five days the possibility of going to one or more of around about a hundred performances right yeah I think there's um up to 150 gigs yeah, across the five go. days yeah. uh, this year yeah. um, which is just mind-blowing when you think about it yeah. um, so uh, you know we have extraordinary support um, from uh, our venue partners um, like meow and and Caroline and mm. um, Rogan vagabond and um, you know the the programs that they present are mm. so layered um, yeah yeah and, and they're mainstays they've built up their absolutely. own absolutely I mean, they have their own following anyway, but they've built up their own jazz festival following across yes. the last four or five or six years, yeah. right? Yeah, and, um, you know, they've done that in such a beautiful way. Um, and then the idea is that we, we bring in these international artists who then potentially can uh, interact with our, our local artists and, and you know, feed mm. into that world as well. Mm. Um, and I guess jazz music, musicians do that so well, don't they? Just yeah. that, that kind of musical conversation that transcends all the language and and words um and come together really to celebrate their sound jazz is a little bit like theater in the regard that you have people that balk at it without knowing worrying that it's i guess it's like a, a, a you know a concern of i'm not going to understand yes this. I'm, why am i not going to understand yeah. this and then when you put someone in that position when they go yeah when they experience it it's sort of like, oh, what was I worried about? Exactly. I'm, I'm just witnessing something that's hopefully really great. Yes. You know, I think jazz, one of the best ways to describe jazz is that it is a conversation. Jazz is a conversation. It really is a it's, conversation, isn't it? Um, and I think it's a conversation that is um, influenced uh, by so many other conversations. I was yeah. um, thinking about this earlier and, you know, the definition of jazz is such a broad mm, one really mm. and it takes in so many styles um, and we were talking earlier about mm. the um, influence of, of psychedelia and Afrobeat yeah, music and, and, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, rock, yeah jazz influenced rock yeah. now rock is influencing That's jazz right. yeah, yeah, um, yeah. and you know all of these um, uh, conversations and, and influences are swirling around each other and I think that's what we need to get across to people is um, you know you, you might not have 
have um, experienced a traditional mm. jazz concert, but you've been to a rock concert or mm. you've listened to your favourite band on mm. uh, on Spotify or, or whatever, um, and it is likely that uh, somewhere along the line they've been influenced mm. by a jazz musician or vice versa. Mm, mm. Um, so, you know, that's really exciting to see the different um, different styles and, and tones come in. Um, mm. And, again, just broaden the church, broaden mm. the audience, broaden broaden the, the reach um, to to mm. people, yeah. And you mentioned, I mean, the, the big name this year that, that, that is about as close to a household name as you get with jazz is Herbie Hancock. Yes. Or, you know, one of the household names of someone who's still living. Um, I think, I could be wrong, but I think that the way the jazz, fe- uh, the festival went about rebuilding the jazz festival was, was doing that thing you mentioned earlier of originally making a standalone event so back in about 2010 or 11 the festival put on Sonny Rollins mm. as a single concert mm. there was no jazz festival that year um, the jazz festival had sort of run itself into the ground mm. for a bunch of reasons and Sonny Rollins came and played and um, and he was amazing of course and that was successful mm. and then the following year there was a handful of events and with some local ones and that sowed the seed for where we are now but I think that Sonny Rollins thing created the um, well probably now an expectation <laughs> that you guys have to go about and find yourself a, yeah. li- a living legend of jazz yeah. that can still travel and wants to travel because I, I know people in New Zealand would love to see would have loved to have seen Keith Jarrett for years yes. and he's always on the I've heard this he's always on the list he was on the list for the New Zealand festival yeah. for years but he doesn't fly yes. and he's yeah. old and he has a sore back and yes. he does not travel yeah. does not need to does yeah. not want to so there's those concerns too yes. so this yeah. year we find ourselves with Herbie with Hancock Herbie, yeah. we've had Wayne Shorter we've That's had right. you know, people yeah. of that ilk contempt- yeah. these are all people that have played with John Coltrane and Miles, Miles Davis, Davis and, 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 and you know, yeah exactly in some cases um, yeah. Charlie Parker yeah. you know as Sonny Rollins had yeah. as a teenager these are these are people who are legitimately living legends and greats in their own right but they also go back a generation to who they came up with they're the masters they're aren't the masters. they they're, they're the ones that we look to not just as um, members of the audience um, but also I think musicians really look to these mm. these guys generally um, and and uh, it's, it's such a privilege, such an amazing opportunity to be able to experience someone like Herbie Hancock live. He's 79 years yeah, old. Yeah, it's yeah. just extraordinary. Yeah. Um, and what he has contributed to the scene over the last few decades, I think, is, um, you know, second to none. But he's, he's 79. I'm looking at this picture of him. He looks about, <laughs> he looks about 49 or 59 max. And he, you know, he has an... I've heard him speak. I've yes. watched him operate. I've listened to him over years. He has an energy and enthusiasm about him that is, yeah. you know, several years yeah. younger and transcendent of his age. And he really gives so much back um, through his institute. So the Thelonious Monk Institute, Institute of Jazz has been renamed now for Herbie Hancock um, mm. to honour his legacy. Um, and uh, through the UNESCO International Jazz Day, um, which Herbie leads, uh, which is really about bringing people from different parts of the world together through music, um, which is, you know, just such a, 
um, a lovely concept to, to start with. Um, and I was also thinking um, earlier today about his open letter to the next generation of mm, musicians or yeah, artists yeah. that he wrote a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, and I went back and, and had a read. He and, and his, his friend Wayne Shorter mm, came mm. together to do that. And, you know, what a gift to um, be able to hear directly from uh, a master artist like that. Well, I was thinking if people have listened this far through our conversation and had never been to a jazz gig and, and, and did get triggered when I talked about how jazz is a bit of a can be a bit of a buzzkill for mm. people, the idea of it. You know, if you're going to take a punt on an international artist to see, to pop your cherry, as it were, with jazz or whatever, you couldn't get a better person to do than Herbie Hancock. Yes. If, if people have watched that quit, um, wonderful Quincy Jones doco on Netflix... I mean, surely one day soon there's going to be a similar one about Herbie because he has yes. a similar sort of story to tell in his breadth and depth. Yes, I agree. I think, um, you know, like you say, surely there is, is someone out there is producing the de- definitive doco yeah. on I Herbie mean, as we speak. He was playing at Carnegie Hall as an 11-year-old. Mm-hmm. He, um, what, he was in one of the great Miles Davis lineups. Quint- yes, yeah, quintets, yeah. Playing on several yeah. classic Miles Davis albums. He... And Miles Davis sought him out, yeah, um, yeah, you know, for yeah. for his uh, ensemble, yeah, um, yeah, because he he obviously recognised um, yeah. uh, what a great artist uh, Herbie was was yeah. going to be, yeah. 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 But even if you're still scared off by jazz, not only I mean there are several amazing jazz albums that mm. Hancock made. But then he gets into funk and fusion. That's right. He makes movie soundtracks and TV yes. soundtracks. Yes. He, um, he collaborates with a bad name to drop these days, but he collaborates with people like Bill Cosby. He goes wide. He does. And um, and he basically create, creates or furthers one of the early versions of rap music. Yes, that's you know? exactly right. He's been experimental mm. um, throughout his career. Um, and I think that's why... Uh, you know, musicians really revere him because what he's done for the form is amazing as well. You know, he keeps uh, he keeps going in in directions that people people haven't gone in before. Um, I think you know if if we're speaking to those people who are who are wanting to take a punt <laughs> on someone like you say, he's definitely uh, be the guy to the do guy it with. In this and program. Um, I was really fortunate um, to uh, present Herbie and his band um, when I was working in North Carolina um, and the moment that he came out on stage with his white keytar was just fantastic yeah, yeah, the yeah. whole yeah. the whole room just stood up as one it was yeah. just it was so exciting and I think he hasn't played well he hasn't played in Wellington in what 15 years or so I, just under I think it's, I've it, seen it, him it's but it was a long then. time yes, ago yes yeah a long time early ago early 2000s yes yeah, yeah. Um, and I don't know that he's been back to Auckland or anything since I feel like that's the last time in New Zealand I, I think he may have been may, back yeah. um, 2009 2010, 2011. But not, um, not down here. But so. not down here. Um, yeah. And, you know, who knows? This may be the last opportunity to see him yeah. live. And he always, it sort of goes without saying, but he always has a phenomenal band. So of course he does. that's another reason yes. you go to these things. Is that's right. He, he should and would be the drawer enough. Yes. But 
the people he has on stage with him have their own careers, their own... They sure do. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, because who wouldn't want to play with Herbie Hancock? <laughs> yeah, that's right. You drop, you drop what you're doing <laughs> you and you go and do doing. that if, you, yes. if you're asked. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're still working through um, uh, with Herbie's people exactly who that band will contain. Right, yeah. Um, but, you know, some really extraordinary uh, younger musicians yeah. have, have come up through Herbie's well, not, band. Well, when I saw him play here mm. years ago, his bass player was Nathan East who I had seen play when I was a kid mm. with Eric Clapton and is, and is on about, you know, 3,000 albums. Mm. And Vinnie Colliuta was the drummer who has played with everyone from Frank Zappa to Sting yeah. to, you know, yeah. so, yeah, it's yeah. going to be something yeah. like that. It's going to be players of that calibre. It's kind of like what Miles did for Herbie <laughs> yeah. back in the day, now hey? Yeah, right. you know, now Herbie's identifying yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, those artists and, and bringing them... Um, you know, through the ranks, I guess. Yeah. Flip side to Herbie, if you want, if you either know your stuff already or you want to be deeply, deeply challenged. Yes. This is a guy who is going to, you know, stretch some people's yeah. concept of jazz, I think. I think so too. And he talks about this himself. So, of course, we're talking about Ambrose Akin Masiri um, uh, uh, playing with his quartet. He's a trumpeter. Yeah. Um, he came to prominence uh, around 2007 when he won the Thelonious Monk International Jazz Competition, which is one of the most prestigious competitions in the world. Um, and, uh, you know, he's really been exploring again we've alluded to it um, these different styles of jazz um, and different influences from uh, say hip-hop through to classical music mm. um, and he likes to collaborate um, mm. I heard a really interesting interview with him a couple of weeks ago um, where he talked about um, uh, his his latest musical venture and he kind of got to the end of, of the composing and um, improvising stage um, and then realised that he hadn't played his trumpet throughout mm, mm. throughout the work or hadn't kind of included mm. a part for, for his trumpet and he's just so excited by different sounds and um, and really likes to, to create these layered um, soundscapes, I guess. I've been blown away by his recordings. I've been listening to him for the last few years mm. so I haven't actually spent a lot of time with the brand new one but um, there's still time for me. Mm. Um, but I, I, I felt like maybe if we wanted to give people a little bit of an idea of what they might be getting in for. I feel like he's like the, maybe he's the small combo version of something like Kamasi Washington, mm. where Kamasi Washington is more the big band, yes. but those same sort of sprawling yes. length tunes and textures you're going to hear here, and maybe somewhere between that and if people enjoyed Christian McBride's yes. thing last year, which yep. I loved. Mm. Um, just in terms of that small combo, yeah. the quartet, yeah, four piece on stage. I think you've um, you've really identified it there. Um, but yeah, certainly that more intimate sound. Um, and what's really brilliant um, is that Ambrose has agreed to um, work with the students of the New Zealand School uh, of Music yeah. and the Jazz Project. Um, and he's also um, he strikes me as a guy who gets up and plays all day, yeah, or, think, or thinks about it. It's yeah. just fantastic <laughs> that he's he's so eager to yeah. um, kind of share his experiences with these young emerging artists. And he's also agreed um, uh, that the New Zealand um, School of Music big band um, can. 
and open his gig. Wow. So they'll get yeah, the opportunity wow. to, um, you know, to open a headline act at the Jazz Festival, which in I'm front really of some excited about. class players, yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah, it's going to be a really exciting night, yeah. that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this, you know, that we sort of talked a bit around that before, but this is one of the great things about jazz is that the really great players are so encouraging of the next generation yes. and the next generation the or, the or the beginners whatever you want to call it the younger people that have enough of a facility they will get up on stage and do it yes never mind they're playing in front of one of the world's greatest trumpeters or whatever i mean yeah. i thought this last year when roger fox brought steve gadd yes. over and he yeah. played with his band you know here here you've got this guy who's played on all these paul simon recordings and stuff and then you've got these people who aren't full-time professional musicians. They yes. have jobs, and then they are on stage with one of the greatest drummers in the world, but they're, but they're hacking it big time. You know, you know, not only that, he dug yeah, them. You know, they're, like, they're holding their own. They're holding their own. But also, I think what's beautiful about this, you know, this conversation that we keep coming back to is those, um, you know, those more known names or more established mm. musicians are listening to the younger younger musicians and they're learning and growing and and getting something from that sound as well and so it's you know it's constantly feeding the sound which Mm. i think is amazing Mm. Um, and that's really exciting to see when you see that spark Mm. fly uh, on stage you know whether it's it's uh in a bar with a uh, a small corner stage and you're right up there in front of them or or whether it's um you know at the michael fowler center Mm. um with a a huge lighting rig and and um, you know a great backline and and huge sound system. It's yeah. fantastic. Yeah, yeah. But I, I do think it's worth mentioning. Well, we'll talk about it. But yeah, that, mm. Ambrose is going to stretch some people. I think you know, he, is. You, I think and, he is. In the best possible way, yeah. if you know what you're looking for. He's, Definitely. He's certainly someone to go and have a little check out of what he does yeah. bef- if you don't already know yeah. before you buy the ticket. Yeah, um, uh, have a listen. Yeah. I, I've really um, uh, loved what I've heard, um, yeah. and you obviously Yeah, have. oh, big time. Um, yeah. And so uh, I'm hoping that people really embrace his sound. He's certainly one of the the exciting newer voices that's yes. coming up through the ranks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, a, a safer bet for a more mainstream audience, uh, if you like, is, is the next one, at least Olatuja. Mm, She's mm. got a great backstory in mm. that um, she was sort of, in some ways, discovered she was. singing as part of one of Obama's inaugurations as part of a gospel choir. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So she's um, uh, come up um, uh, through a classical tradition. Mm. Um, she's trained as a mezzo-soprano um, and had spent uh, a number of years with the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir, mm. um, which was invited to sing, as you say, at um, uh, Obama's second inauguration mm. and she was the soloist there um, but I think uh, like a lot of singers um, her influences um, were through um, you know attending church growing mm. up mm. Um, so that real kind of gospel soul and mm. jazz influence as well mm. as the classical training um, and her voice is just extraordinary what I really love about her though uh, is that her current project her, yes. her most recent album 
is focusing on female composers. Mm -hmm. And I think that's such a strong statement to make as a young female musician. When you talk about picking the right things for the right time and yeah. it's going to land. This is an oh. obvious example of something that yes. what's really recommended her is this. Yeah, it's I think, um, you know, just that um, that drive and that passion and um, for someone so young to have a, mm. a very clear idea of what she wants to project um, is really extraordinary. It's a great album too. I reviewed it um, recently for RNZ mm. and, you know, it... it it manages to be all things for all listeners, I think. Just, you know, yeah. You've got some very safe, obvious things like Tracy Chapman yes. covers and Sade covers that that don't mess with the format yes. too much but present really good songs. Mm. Then she'll go and do a real deep dive and she doesn't yep. just play you, you know, a Joni Mitchell song you know. You have to be a big Joni Mitchell yes. fan to recognise her doing yes. what she picks and how she does it. Mm. And then if you are as I am, that's hugely rewarding, mm. you know, it's it's all over the map, yes. uh, finishing with Kate Bush, yeah, so, I know. and again, not not the yeah. most obvious Kate Bush song. You're absolutely right, yeah. I loved that um, yeah. about the album, you know, like you say, there's a couple of really well-known tunes yeah. um, that people will know instantly. Pull you in. Yeah. Instantly. Yeah. Um, but those, you know, those lesser-known tracks from some of the better-known artists oh. are really fascinating oh, yeah. to hear. I think it's actually sequenced really to pull you in from the start. Yes. It, it almost gets more obscure as it goes it down. It does, doesn't I think. it? Yes. Both song selection wise and arrangement yeah. wise, because we finish, which again is really uh, fitting, we finish with her sort of a cappella. Yes. Which is a strong yeah. statement around yeah. this is what it's all about. Yeah. A woman's voice singing words by another woman. Yeah. This is what, this is what she's celebrating. This woman's work, this woman's work. Oh, it's hard on this man. Now his part is over. And it's really great to see, um, again, um, artists, musicians like Christian McBride um, mm. wanting to work with uh, Alicia. Mm. Uh, again, you know, those older artists drawing the newer uh, voices through, um, mm. I think, is very exciting. I think it's going to be a really beautiful experience to I hear think her so too. And it's got that feeling of, you know, like she's got runs on the board, but yes. you're seeing someone who's going to further develop, so you're getting the chance to see rising someone star. rising yeah, star yeah. still very much. And one of these, you know, early passion projects of yeah. hers, um, very special. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. So this is the next one is Ghost Note, and this is a band that um, I think, again, the, the last few years the festival has found something vaguely in this style. Yes. Yeah, and this is jazz really being pretty stretched to the definition Exploded, of jazz. Shall yeah, yeah, we say? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They're, they're not really a jazz band, but they're got the players of with jazz chops. You know, they really yeah. yeah they have a kind of. Um, jazz foundation if yes, you like but yeah. then what they do on top of that yeah they take um, it, yeah, yeah. They take it to, to new places and we have been really conscious about including um, an artist uh, of this style in yes. the program because I think these artists, these musicians are talking to a new audience yeah, um, yeah. and I think it's really important for us to uh, reflect that and to draw that audience into the world of the jazz mm. festival um, and of course this group Ghost Note uh, are led by the two percussionists of Snarky Puppy, and yeah. Snarky Puppy have really found a following here. Yeah, I was going to say they're like favourites there, and they love it because they yeah. keep coming back, yeah, yeah, which is yeah. brilliant. Yeah. Um, so but yeah. did the festival introduce them to New Zealand? I think? Yes, yes, that's yeah. 
yeah, night, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. as part of the jazz yes. festival yeah, yeah. Um, a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, so to see them returning is really fantastic for us. Mm. Um, but then, you know, we have the opportunity now to bring uh, the percussion duo, their, their new musical venture, Ghost mm. Note. Um, and this, um, this group are really led by that rhythmic percussion. Yes. Um, uh, part um, and then they they layer on that futurist funk style. Well, I feel like um, a better way to just to to test these guys out if you're going to go and see them and you want to know a bit mm. about what they're about might actually be to check out some of the YouTubes because yes. I, I love the album. I also reviewed that for RNZ and I like it, but the album is pretty mellow and I, f- I just, you just know yeah. it's going to explode live. It really The is. album is cool though, but it's almost got notes of like, well, what some of what Herbie Hancock was doing in the 80s yeah. and, and early 90s yeah. and, and some of the Quincy Jones things. Mm. It's, it's almost towards acid jazz. Yes, yeah. Um, it's, it's very laid back with moments but you watch them on YouTube and this is just they really are going to explode and um, you know this is the gig that we hope people will get up and move um, because this is your Friday night show yeah (laughs) but it's that kind of music isn't it you know you just want to want to move to it Um, you can't sit still so yeah yeah um, yeah really excited about that one one of the um local mainstays of the festival is is Roger Fox and his Sunday afternoon mm. spot. Yes. That's his spot. But it, he, he obviously, I've talked to Roger many times, mm. including for the podcast, and Roger is a tireless ambassador for performance and jazz in he New is. Zealand. He's amazing. And he always brings someone into his Sunday afternoon show. Yes. So, again, it's that conversation thing. He brings yeah. in a, a, a guest yeah. collaborator. So what's he doing this year? It's a really interesting collaboration this year. So um, Simon O'Neill, the New Zealand tenor, um, mm. is joining Roger and the big band on stage, um, and they are actually performing uh, new arrangements of both Wagner and Puccini um, wow. arias that yeah. people will know, mm. but it's going to be a totally different sound. Mm. Um, and I'm really excited to, to hear um, how it lands. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's going to be quite interesting um, and something uh, unusual and exciting for Simon mm. uh, to perform mm. as well. Um, and as you say, Roger's just such a big advocate of Jazz, the jazz scene here in mm. New Zealand and he's also uh, commissioned a whole bunch of new um, uh, compositions from New Zealand musicians mm. uh, that he'll be premiering at that gig wow. as well. Um, and I, I love that Sunday afternoon slot yeah. because it's a, you know it's a chance to go and see something on the big stage in the afternoon. You can either go to two things that day mm-hmm. or... You know, being that that's the final night of the festival, mm. you can get your afternoon fix, and then you can go off and see something in one of the smaller venues. If exactly. you, you know, afterwards as a little sort of dessert. Yes, that's yeah. that's really um, what we're hoping that people will do. Mm. Um, come to the Michael Fowler Centre um, for a three co- a three p.m. gig, mm. um, and then head out into the streets mm. um, and mm. hit, go down hit to the, the Rogan Vagabond yeah. or whatever. Like hit the bars. Hit yeah, the, hit the clubs. always has a big um, closing exactly. sort of party. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and we have no doubt that you will see, um, you know, artists from the main stage crossing over into that world. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, certainly what we're hoping audiences yeah. will do. Yeah. So tell me, I, I know nothing about Code Quartet mm. yet. 
So um, we're uh, actually um, focusing on uh, New Zealand commissions ourselves over the next uh, three or so years uh, with the Jazz Festival. Um, and we've commissioned Lex French um, oh, and yeah. Jasmine Lovell-Smith <laughs> to create uh, a couple of new pieces each um, to premiere on the main stage as part of the Jazz Festival. And as you may know, Lex has been living in Montreal for mm. the last couple of years and mm. uh, he's really embedded himself in the scene there um, and has uh, become part of uh, the Code Quartet um, led by uh, Christine Jensen on saxophone mm. um, who's a, a leading uh, jazz voice uh, in North America in that part of the world. Um, and so we're bringing Lex and and his Canadian collaborators right. over um, to and Lex premiere. has almost been a bit of a star of the festival really and the, the local stages yeah. across many years. He really has. He's and involved with some other great players yeah. and has a style, you know, a visual yeah. sort of style that comes out as well as being a great player. Very much so. Yeah. Um, and I think he's really um, found a place for himself in Montreal and um, we wanted to give him and Jasmine the opportunity to create new sounds um, and, and new pieces of music um, and we thought what better way to do that than to bring the musicians that Lex has been working with mm. um, and then uh, of course um, they'll take those works uh, back to Mon Montreal and North America with them. Mm. 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 And then I'm just looking at what you've got on and the mm. smaller things um, and it's I mean, this is a festival of itself mm -hmm. outside of that. So we've got Caroline and Meow, Rogue and Vagabond, yes. also the Third Eye, which has established yes. itself the last couple of years as a as a really great venue and, and, and had stuff at the Jazz Festival yes. last year. And then there are a few other little little things around there, pop-up shows. There'll be, there'll be buskers in Cuba Mall, as there always is. Yes. Um, but, man, there's some great shows here. I bumped into Ant Donaldson about a month ago and uh, he said to me, oh, I've got about six shows at yeah. the Jazz Festival, uh, which he Isn't always does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, um, but, you know, he and I, I think he's someone who's always worth seeing, yeah. like, whatever he does, but yes. he has a couple of really great projects at the moment. Yeah. So his um, mean bones are always worth mm. seeing. And, and, yeah, so, and there's some great local stuff. Really, sure really, really great. Have yeah. you got any... Um, oh, well, actually, I mean, I love um, the... The, one of the rogue and vagabond things they do so well is the classic, classic albums. albums yes. I was, was going to ask you for a pick, but first of all, I just wanted to look at what they're doing yes. um, this year, and it's always great. So they take different local lineups, will perform a classic jazz album live. Mm. Um, one of the ones I can see in the program here straight away, which would be, again, a great thing to go to, mm. uh, is the Giant Steps album, mm. which is a classic Coltrane mm. album. I can also see Fat Albert Rotunda, which is a Herbie Hancock album, yes. so that's a nice thing to get to. Yeah, it's a nice link, um, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So, but, but they are all good. I've been to quite a few of those yes. over the years, and, and um, they're fantastic players. And what a way to experience an, um, an album, and, um, you know, musicians put albums together as, as a narrative arc, if you like. You know, it's an experience from start to finish. And I love um, when musicians play them through in that order. These are cheap gigs too. Yeah. Like some of them are donations. Some That's of them right. are five or some, ten bucks on the door. Yep. Um, some of these albums only go for 35, 40 minutes. Yep. That's a great amount of time yep. to to just experience something yeah. and it can be something you can do and then go off to a bigger gig yeah. or or afterwards or if it's the only thing you do yeah um it's a great amount of time you know, buy a drink 
buy a meal, watch the thing, and then have a chat about it with people afterwards. That's right. Throw yeah. yourself into yeah. it, um, and yeah. you'll be surrounded by, uh, you know, like-minded people, mm. I think. And mm. as you say, isn't part of the um, the joy of experiencing uh, a live performance, talking to people about it afterwards and, um, you know, just connecting at that level. Yeah. Yeah. My other thing I'd like to try and get to is the music of Twin Peaks. Oh, yes. Which would be cool. That's at the third I saw yeah. something about that the other day and I yeah. thought that would be a great... Um, what 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 do you want to see? What do you get to see at this? <laughs> I guess is a better question. It's really hard to get to see everything yeah. as we've established. Yeah. Um, and you know, so my approach, as always, is to just uh, get out and see as many of our Wellington musicians as mm. I possibly can, mm. um, and um, you know, really just immerse myself uh, in their sound um, and uh, and and what they're doing and thinking about and dreaming of and yeah. yeah yeah i could imagine you as a sort of programming director needing your own one to yes to create a program for you to actually get to That's after right. all of this but what an experience <laughs> yeah. just to throw yourself into it for yeah. five days yeah. yeah and we should also mention something that's come up the again the last couple of years is the lighthouse cinema mm. off cuba street does yeah. does little jazz themed yep. movies which is a great um little add-on it's a fantastic yeah. addition to the program and yeah. um they curate such a uh, a lovely um series if you like mm. um and again allowing people uh a bit of an insight into the history of jazz or different musicians uh, but just a different way in for people who are looking for something a bit more visual um yeah their program's fantastic and looks good again yeah this year they're doing a miles davis yes. kind of theme yeah they've got the absolutely bonkers biopic miles ahead which yeah. is strange kind of cool but very strange because <laughs> it takes the story of miles davis and just moves it off into a kind of action uh, kind of chase movie yeah. with you with you and McGregor and, and Don Cheadle yeah. and it's, it's but it's it's cool and cool in parts it's got some great music mm. in it obviously but then they've got the more straight ahead Blue Note documentary mm. and then a little portrait of Bill Evans mm. who uh, you know famous in his own right yes. again but one of these great musicians who work with Miles yeah. he's, he's he's part of the uh, kind of blues session yeah. so so three different kind of stories yeah. related to Miles so you can either pick one or yeah. go to all of them three yeah. different perspectives three different and angles. I love seeing these links across the program so obviously you know we've talked about Herbie coming through um, mm. with, with Miles and then uh, people can get a sense of, of Miles and his music through mm. through these um, yeah. through these films um, so you know you can really um, scratch the surface or you can you can go down deep um, yeah. with these musicians and, and I dare say I mean it's probably unlikely when Herbie Hancock plays here, he's going to play anything off the Fat Albert Rotunda album. So then you can exactly. go and see you can go and the locals it. Yeah. play that album and go, yeah. wow, he did that too. That's, That's a completely right. different, because it's yeah. a really good album. Yeah. It's one of his one of his many, many great mm. albums, but I, I, I feel like I'm pretty safe in thinking he's not going to play stuff from there. I think you're probably right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, what what an opportunity um, yeah. to be able to hear that album in full um, and, you know, hot on the heels of hearing uh, the man himself. Mm, so, mm. Um, yeah, I love those, these kind of swirling links through the program that people yeah. can, can find once they start delving into it. So the, the only thing we haven't done, um, and there'll be notes in this 
people will have got to already is the Jazz Festival runs from the 5th till the 9th of June yes. and there is yeah really something for everyone and it runs from like all day you yes. know there's stuff happening all day yeah. from lunchtime pretty yeah. much right through till midnight yeah. and sometimes even a bit later yeah. um, and, and everything from films as we've discussed talks um, panel discussions yeah. uh, jazz for chi- for kids um, yeah. which is really exciting um, the the brass band I mean you know it just goes on and on we have a throat singer in there as well um, so yeah yeah you could you could really um, spend your days and everything from your big ticket items yeah. your hundred dollar-ish yeah. headlining acts some of them are a bit cheaper some of them are 30 and 40 dollars for right. tickets to completely free, free for some events so you know yes people have to budget for these things but yes. you can go and experience yep. the festival without spending too much money you really can um and it's very important to us that there's um a lot of free and accessible gigs mm, as mm. well um and we certainly uh try and, and keep the headline uh ticket prices as low as we possibly can um because really we just want as many people as possible to be mm. able to experience them Mm. Well, good luck between now and then, um, and I'll see you, no doubt, at several events during the festival. Um, thanks for coming and talking to me. Great to find out about um, everything the festival is now doing, um, and you'll come back and talk about the, the big international festival next year. I would love to. Great. Hey, thanks, Abs.